Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Last week, federal agencies published an interim final rule regarding requirements related to surprise billing. This much-anticipated IFR, considered Part 2 of the administration's surprise billing ban regulations, deals with the process to settle out-of-network payment disputes that will arise between providers and payers, in addition to outlining requirements for healthcare cost estimates for uninsured or self-paying individuals. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy Buckner is here to discuss the IFR, how exactly this dispute resolution process will work, and how this is a victory for NAHU. Welcome back to the podcast, Marcy. Thanks, Dan. I'm excited to be here this week to talk about this huge NAHU victory with the way that the IFR came out and how they are going to protect consumers from surprise billing and especially how we are going to be able to mitigate the increasing costs on healthcare and health insurance. Because of this, this is something you all know we've been working on for quite some time. So we are just thrilled that this came out as close to what NEHU had in mind for this resolution process. It is a little complicated, Dan. So I'm going to ask our listeners to hang tight with us as we set this up. There are a few moving pieces to explain why this is a huge victory, not just for NEHU, but for consumers. So hang tight with us and let's dive in. NAHU has been working on fixing the issue of balanced billing or surprise billing for a long time now. Last week's IFR, which again outlines this new independent dispute resolution process, is one of the most hotly anticipated regulations so far this year. So can you tell listeners how this arbitration process will work according to this IFR? Sure. And just a reminder, so this is an interim final rule. It is part two. So it follows up from part one that we had in July. Dan, we're going to talk about that in, uh, in a little bit, but let's focus on what we have in front of us with part two that came out last week. And within this, it goes through what it's calling the independent dispute resolution process or IDR and how they are going to resolve the the issue of determining what amount should be used to settle a balance bill and what's going to happen or what's outlined in, in the interim final rule. And there are some groups that are, are not happy with this, which we'll also talk about in a few minutes. So we do anticipate some comments back to the administration and they are taking comments despite the fact that this is an interim final rule. But So far, it doesn't sound like much of this is going to have a drastic change. We will obviously keep you up to date if we do have any changes prior to January 1 when this will all go in place. But for right now, it looks like there won't be a lot of tweaks to what we see here. The baseline process, obviously, I'm summarizing several hundred pages of rules here, but the parties will have 30 days from when 
the balance bill is received to resolve the issue on their own, to try to come to some type of settlement or payment without involving the IDR process. If they're unable to do so, they will then basically file to go into the IDR process. Once they've gone past those 30 days, have four to five business days to agree upon an IDRE. And that is an independent dispute resolution entity. IDRE is what they're calling them. And that is the arbiter or arbitrator. But now we are using the term independent dispute resolution entity. So we're going to throw another acronym at you to learn IDRE. If they do not agree upon an IDRE within that time period, then HHS becomes involved, appoints an IDRE to oversee the process, and then they have about five days to try to resolve the balance bill. And within this process, the IDRE is instructed through this interim final rule look at the numbers. So both parties will provide a number to the IDRE of what they believe is the fair amount for this balance bill. And the IDRE will then look at those two numbers. This is how the baseball arbitration style works, which is what this is. The IDRE will look at those two numbers. And then based on this interim final rule, the IDRE is instructed to choose the number between those two numbers, choose which party's number is closest to the qualified payment amount. And that party's number is the number that will be used for the amount to resolve the balance bill. The IDRE is able to take other information into account besides the qualified payment amount. But if they do that, and they don't base their final decision on the QPA, then they have to provide an overwhelming reason as to why they have done that. And so then they enter into the formal payment process. Once that number is issued by the IDRE, it is binding. There are a few appeals processes, but this is seen as the road of last resort, so to speak. So it is binding. And then they go into the, the process for payment of the balance bill. So how does this part two of the surprise billing regulations fit in with the part one that we discussed back in July? So this fits in with part one. And there are other aspects within part two that we're not doing a deep dive into. The most important part was this independent dispute resolution process. Um, it also goes into identifying who can be an IDRE, which we were also very pleased that they're putting in restrictions and making sure that the entities that are serving as IDREs do have some type of background and understanding of health insurance which is something that we've asked for in our prospective comments to the agencies. There are a number of different pieces that are included here. We're, we're focusing on this because it's, it's the largest part and the piece that we've been asked about the most from you all. But it relates back to part one, and we kind of have to add these pieces together to, to get to this, the, the overall concept of how this is going to really help consumers. And it's because it uses that qualified payment amount that I mentioned earlier, the QPA, as really the defining point to instruct the IDRE on how to make that determination 
of which party's number to choose during the IDR process. And the qualified payment amount in part one of the surprise bill was defined to be really very close to a median in network rate. This is something that NEHU has talked a lot about. And I think, Dan, you have a, a question to help me explain that in just a few minutes. So I won't go too far into that. But because the QPA was defined in part one and now is being used in part two to assist in how the IDR process is going to work, that's one of the biggest pieces of tying these two parts together to look at the further impact of how this rule will touch consumers and we believe will help to mitigate increasing costs and premiums that are ultimately caused by surprise billing. So yes, going off of that, some folks may recall that when NHU was lobbying Congress prior to the passage of the Consolidated Appropriations Act, we strongly urged lawmakers to utilize the median in-network benchmark rate to solve balance billing disputes rather than a costly arbitration process. Congress ultimately decided to go with an arbitration process. However, as you've said, these past two IFRs make a crucial distinction that actually favors NAHU's previous perspective. So can you go into detail about that? Sure. And so if we kind of rewind a couple of years, many of you will remember when the No Surprises Act was making its way through Congress, specifically on the Senate side, getting a lot of attention. We sent a lot of messages to the Hill. You all did a lot of meetings with your members of Congress, and we're very grateful for that. And in having those discussions, we had been urging that the statute, that the piece that Congress passed, allow for the resolution of a balance bill to be based on a median in-network rate, meaning the average cost of that type of service and that geographic area by that type of provider be taken into account to resolve the balance bill. And when this process is used, we've seen that the balance bill is usually resolved in favor of the consumer, meaning a lower amount um, paid out by the consumer, which in the end helps to lower healthcare costs, helps to lower premiums. Because as you all know, as we see increases in surprise billing, as those costs go up and up, how do carriers and employers try to cover those costs? It's by rising premiums. So we don't want to see premiums rising in exchange for reducing the number of balance bills that occur. That was something that we were really trying to emphasize when we were speaking with members of Congress, that doing away with receiving a balance bill is one piece, but if the cost of resolving that balance bill increases, then you're doing nothing to really tackle the problem of increasing prices in the healthcare industry. So we want to make sure we're not pulling one lever and, and you know, causing a fall somewhere else. We're not trying to play Jenga here. So those were our discussions with Congress. They ultimately decided to go with an arbitration process, but the way that the statute, the way the No Surprises Act was written, it allowed for 
the regulators, the federal agencies to have a lot of control about how and what this IDR independent dispute resolution process would look like. And so NEHU does this a lot with, with statutes, with what we're handed by Congress. Sometimes we love it. Sometimes there are some things we would like to see tweaked. Other times there is an uphill battle of what we would like to see changed. Here it was, it was kind of a mix of those things within the No Surprises Act. But our advocacy approach to these pieces is always, once something has been passed by Congress, to focus on the regulatory angle and what we can do with the agencies to shape the rules as much as possible to be in our favor. And that's something that we did here, along with a number of the different coalitions that we worked with. But you all may remember we sent letters early on this year when we knew that the agencies were going to be working on this rulemaking, letting them know what we wanted to see. So letting our our thoughts be heard even before we had these interim final rules and proposed rules on the issue. And the end result was we we saw our thoughts reflected here because in part one, like I mentioned, because they defined the qualified payment amount very similarly to how a median in-network benchmark rate is calculated. And now in part two, they're using that qualified payment amount as the factor that the IDRE needs to look at primarily when they're determining which number from the two parties to be the final payment amount. This process is now reflecting more closely the process that we wanted to see in the statute. And again, the reason for why we were in favor of this type of process is again, by using that the median and network rate or by using what now we're going to be talking about as the qualified payment amount and the way that they decided to calculate that by using it as this primary factor in deciding the IDR, it is going to lend to a lower amount, a better result on the consumer, a better result in the long term on premiums, a better result in trying to mitigate cost containment within the health insurance industry. I do want to point out there are some parties that aren't as thrilled as we are with the results of this interim final rule. And and that happens, right? There are times that that we aren't thrilled with the rulemaking that comes out from the agencies and we voice our concerns in rulemaking. And I mentioned before that because this is an interim final rule, we don't foresee that there will be many changes in the way that this is set up. But I do just want to caution because I know there is a lot of news around, well, in the industry news around this and not just providers and hospital systems that are not in favor of the way that these rules have turned out, but also there are different committees in Congress that are suggesting that this does not follow the congressional intent of the way that they structured the statute. However, saying that, there are other committees that are saying it does follow congressional intent. And so when you have two different committees from Congress that are are saying something different on congressional intent, you really have to look at the letter of the law. And this is the way that the agencies have interpreted it. 
So there is a chance that we could see some legal challenges, although I think that is true with, with almost any large piece of policy that we get. That's just what we have seen over the past several years with any of these large changes. And this is a big change. This is really big. To quote Joe Biden, this is a BFD. So I just, I do want to caveat that where we are celebrating this as a, as a huge win for health insurance consumers and for our work on behalf of, of you all and NAHU. We, we are going to see this other side, but, you know, throughout this process, we have always said, even when we were working on this from the congressional standpoint, when we were meeting with staffers on the Hill and the overall theme was no one's going to be happy with the way that this law turns out. If consumer advocates and advocates for providers, if everyone's unhappy, then they came to some sort of compromise that may just work. And so I think now we're seeing that being indicative of consumer advocates not being quite happy with what we saw from the statutory side, but now provider advocates not being so happy with what we saw on the regulatory side. But I think if we we come together and we apply these together, which is what we have to do, that's how it's handed to us. I think that if we focus on the fact that once again, and I know I keep saying this, that this is going to be better overall for cost containment and for the health of the health insurance industry, then that's where we're really going to focus on working together and implementing this law. Hi there. Are you familiar with NAHU's Leadership Academy? The Leadership Academy assists chapter leaders and members to become better leaders in NAHU and in life generally. This is a 12-module program that provides a wide variety of topics, touching on many areas to provide students with a well-rounded experience. But that's enough of me explaining it. Here is NAHU CEO Janet Troutwine and NAHU Chapter Leadership and Development Committee Chair and Leadership Academy creator Emma Fox to explain more. Welcome, Emma, and I just want to start right in and talk about the newest thing that we're the most excited about, or one of the few things that we're the most excited about is our new Leadership Academy. Can you tell us a little bit about it, what it's supposed to do? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me, Janet. I am always up for an opportunity to talk about leadership, and we have a couple of really big initiatives, but the biggest one is the Leadership Academy that rolled out on July 1st. It really started with kind of a small idea, like how could we get training out to our members to help them lead their chapters a little bit more effectively and to help them align their local and state goals with our national goals as well. So we had some more cohesiveness. And of course, as with much of the things I touch, a very small idea became a much bigger idea and we um, decided to put together a, a full curriculum of what we thought our leaders needed to learn and understand about. And then we recognized that uh, as brilliant as our committee is, we couldn't take on that task ourselves. And so in true uh, NAHU fashion, we went out to um, our most prominent NAHU folks and asked them to donate their time to be teachers to teach each one of the 12 one-hour modules that exist in the academy. And so everyone in true NAHU fashion jumped right in. They donated uh, two hours of their time for an online academy. And then we also host a live session every single month, one module at a time. And so far we've had an excellent outpouring of support and we have about a hundred people enrolled in the academy at the moment. So this is designed for leadership 
itself, not just chapter leadership, it can certainly help our chapter leaders, but it also has many components that just help any of us be better leaders than we otherwise would be. Is that right? Yeah, you nailed it. What we're trying to do is not just teach them how to run chapters, but teach them how to take on a leadership role in their business as well. And I think people don't realize that NAHU can do that for you through networking, collaboration, connection with other NAHU members. We can also help enhance what they do in their business life kind of on the side of NAHU as well. So it's really intended to be multi-purpose. If you are interested in learning more about the NAHU Leadership Academy, email chapters at nahu.org. In addition to focusing on reducing the cost and looking at how this will impact health insurance costs in general, also looking at the cost to actually enter into the arbitration process or the IDR process is very low, which is something else that we wanted to make sure that we weren't trading costs on, um, having a, a large barrier to entering into the IDR process. So we were pleased with, with that. And then there's also a process through which if there's a provider that has a number of balance bills where they can go into a number of balance bills with a specific carrier, they can go into bundling and try to negotiate those all at once, but there is a limit on how many they can bundle and there is a limit on the time frame for which those services can be provided. So a lot of checks and balances here, we believe to take care of both sides. So outside of the guidance regarding arbitration, this IFR also outlines how providers must contend with uninsured or self-paying individuals in a balance billing situation. So what did the agencies say here? So if a provider is working with a consumer that is either uninsured or wants to, what they're calling self-pay, which is someone who is insured but doesn't want to use their insurance for whatever service they are seeking. In these cases, those consumers can request a good faith estimate from the provider. So that they're receiving prior to the services what they could expect to be paying. This is in an effort to try to make sure they're, they're not getting to the IDR process later on by receiving a surprise bill, that the consumer is aware that, that being uninsured or wanting to self-pay and, and not use their insurance is going to come at a different cost. So that process is outlined in this rule as well because this was intended to be a consumer protection, not just for those that are insured on the group or individual market, but also for those that are uninsured or are wanting to self-pay. So will NHU be submitting comments on this IFR? We will be submitting comments. As much as I said that we are very pleased with the results of this, this is a huge win for us where we did not succeed on the congressional side in getting that specific language that we wanted into the No Surprises Act, we were able to succeed here on the regulatory side, getting the language put together so that we're getting what we've asked for using that median and network rate and driving down the cost. This is ultimately our goal, which will also ultimately help more to be insured and be able to afford to be in the health insurance market. So we, of course, want to thank the administration for this perspective that they're taking 
But there are a few things that we want to make sure that they are keeping in mind when they're looking at this IDR process. A few questions that we have that we'll be sending along. I know there are still some questions about the IDRE process, you know, identifying the independent dispute resolution entities. If you are interested in becoming an IDRE or no entities that are, they have an entire website that's open with more information about this, that they'll start collecting applications on November 1st. And if you're doing the math on that, yes, this law goes into place January 1, but because the rule requires 30 days of negotiation between the parties before they can trigger an IDR process, the IDREs won't become involved with this until February, going along the timeline that they provided for us. We'll be submitting comments on on these pieces, as well as some other questions that we have about the self-funded market that may not have been perfectly clear here. And then just reinforcing some of the pieces in the rule, besides those that we really like about how they structured the IDR based on the QPA, they do also mention, again, the state processes saying that HHS will defer to the states if they meet or exceed the standard that the federal government has set forward. But in order to do so, the state's process has to be binding and can and use that same good faith estimate for those that are uninsured, like we mentioned earlier. But HHS is going to provide more information about this and how the state and federal governments are going to kind of work together in certain aspects. And it will be a little bit different in each state. So that's something we're going to reinforce in our comments as well, is making sure there's a full understanding about how all of those moving pieces will be working together moving forward. And and with that, I've had a lot of questions about employers that have locations in multiple states, have employees in multiple states, and how TPAs and others are going to be able to coordinate efforts on all of these pieces. And and so those will be part of the things that we raise um, as we're commenting on this. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? Dan, this week we are toasting to all of you. We are so grateful for your patience on this issue, for all of the messages that you sent the members of Congress when this was working its way through the House and the Senate, for joining us in voicing our concerns even before we received these interim final rules spelling out the process that we are going to have for independent dispute resolution. Just a big cheers to you all for um, the work that you've done to getting us to this place where we have been so successful through the regulatory process in being able to compromise with the agencies and come together with an IDR process that we believe will be in the best interest of you and your clients. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.